You're listening to the 1208 Podcast from 1208 Greenwood Free Methodist Church in downtown Jackson, Michigan. We started off our journey into God's grand framework by answering the question, why do we exist? As we dove into scripture, we found that our purpose in life is to image God on the earth, just as heavenly beings are meant to image him in the heavenlies. All humans are made in God's image and are therefore meant to relay his image in every choice they make. And as humans multiply and spread out across the earth, The whole earth is to be subdued by his image so that our planet looks like how God would have it look, like the sacred space of Eden. And because both humanity and heavenly beings have exercised their will in sinful and evil ways, many gather that God's grand plan to make the whole earth look like Eden failed. We figure the earth is a loss and on its way to complete destruction. Uh, Humans will never be able to turn this planet into everything God would want it to be. This seems to be the message most Christians have come to believe about our planet. We declare from our pulpits that our world is a mess and that God's original plan has failed. We explain that God has therefore ditched plan A and created plan B. And in this new plan, he has sent his son to the earth to steal us away from the planet and go live with him in the spiritual realm. Our bodies and our planet will one day be no more. Everything we know now is headed for oblivion. And we're just trying to skim by as best we can while saving as many people as we can before death or the rapture comes. This is standard Christian teaching. Uh, This is the ultimate vision of American Christianity that has been painted. It's in the heart of every altar call. Therefore, it hits many kind of hard when they're told that plan B, this idea that the ultimate goal in life is to fly off to heaven, it hits many hard when they find out that this is far from being the whole story. As it ends up, plan A hasn't been canceled. God didn't mess up when he made plan A. He didn't make a mistake. God's ultimate plan cannot be thwarted by the fallen free will of others. He will have his way And he made that clear with Jesus. One of Jesus' favorite themes to preach on was the kingdom of heaven, or the kingdom of God, depending on which gospel you're reading. Though it doesn't matter what you call it, because the two titles are synonymous with each other. It's the same thing. Though regardless of what you call it, the meaning of the title can get lost in American thinking. If we call it the kingdom of heaven, we often think of pearly gates and the clouds and the world that awaits us after we die. If we call it the kingdom of God, we often think of American politics and elected officials and all of the ethical and moral battles that come with such things. But for Jesus, the kingdom of heaven slash the kingdom of God isn't a place far away from us in time or space, nor is it an earthly nation. Rather, It is a spiritual kingdom becoming earthly when it intersects with our time and space as our prayers and actions allow it to break through into our present landscape. 
And the kingdom of heaven isn't an earthly nation because it's, it's not from earth. It's a kingdom in the process of coming down from heaven to the earth. And so, to fully adhere to national or party politics is not to adhere to the politics of the kingdom of God. For no nation on earth is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is its own thing that is on its way here, is already here when we live out its politics. The kingdom of heaven has its own political ideologies of extravagant love and forgiveness and peace and such politics are lived out when Christians dwell in the teachings of Jesus, especially the teachings found in the Sermon on the Mount. The kingdom of heaven does not elect a king for the throne, for it has one permanent king who has already earned the throne. Jesus, the descendant of David, whose reign has been established forever, just as the prophets foresaw. To live under Jesus is to live in submission to the kingdom of heaven. To practice the teachings of Jesus is to watch heaven break through out of our lives and surge throughout the earth around us. As citizens of the kingdom of heaven, uh, we must give our full allegiance to heaven, not just in the afterlife, but right now. This will surely cause us to clash with our own nations and political parties. For one glance through the Sermon of the Mount will show us just how far every earthly nation is from truly imaging God in their politics. A standard human simply cannot live up to the standards of the kingdom of heaven without the help of the Holy Spirit. Sure, there will be times where heaven will be able to overlap with earthly nations because all humans are made in the image of God, but there's gonna be many times where our allegiance to the kingdom of heaven causes us to be at odds with the nations of earth. After all, earthly nations are pictured all throughout the Bible as being under the control of the false gods and their human puppet rulers is sometimes the way the Bible seems to picture it. All nations outside of heaven are seen as a Babylon or a Babylon in the making. And so, as we live our lives in heaven right now, while on the earth, we find ourselves in an interesting paradigm. We are to be obedient to earthly nations when they aim to do good, as that's what God has set up governments to do. But we are also to prophetically rebuke our governments when they step out of the when they step out and live the ways of the oppressive Babylon. And we do all of this while recognizing their inability to live up to the fullness of God's expectations since no earthly nation is fully Christian, fully baptized, or spirit-inspired. But we as Christians are. And so regardless of what the world does, we are expected to live up to our calling. And so we install the kingdom of heaven in all ways that we can. For, for example, we fight abortion not just by prophetic correction and political lobbying, but by adopting orphans, creating orphanages, getting involved in foster care, befriending those thinking of having an abortion and showing them that we love them, and, and even offering to adopt their children if they're willing to bring the baby to term. We fight homelessness not just by addressing laws and cycles and injustice, injustices, but by also opening our houses to the homeless giving them rides to their jobs, uh, connecting them to organizations that can help them, creating new projects and shelters that serve them and buying them homes. 
We fight racism, not just by identifying how it works systematically and, and, and fighting to change the system, but also by repenting of the racism in ourselves, learning about our history, making reparations, uh, calling it out when we see it, understanding why it shows up in the places it does, listening to other stories, abstaining from certain jokes, and, and by spending a great amount of time among those who are different from us. This is the beauty of the kingdom of heaven lived out in the Christian. It, it doesn't just manifest in a national law we're expected to follow, but instead, the law is written on our hearts and our minds and it seeps out through our fingers and toes. Our actions become conduits for the Holy Spirit to fulfill plan A, to fill the earth with God's image. If we had multiplied throughout the earth and imaged God without sin and rebellion, we would have converted the earth into the likeness of heaven. But we didn't. And God will not let our sin and rebellion stop that original plan. He has shifted things around and Plan A is now still on track. Now we expand the kingdom of God throughout the earth by having godly children who image God, by inviting outsiders into God's kingdom so that they might join the ranks of those who bring heavenly expansion upon the earth, and by living out God's kingdom. Many agree that the kingdom of heaven was one of Jesus' favorite themes, but many have not understood that kingdom well. It, it's a part of the already but not yet scope of the Bible. Yes, it's already here and happening around us, but it is also not yet here in its fullest state. It is the embodiment of God's plan to invade the earth with his image. Jesus has ushered the kingdom of heaven into the earth, which will ultimately fulfill plan A. Will we join in that effort? I, like a million other people, really enjoyed the Left Behind series growing up. Maybe it was my love for sci-fi and fantasy, or, or maybe it was the allure of the possibility that Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins were right in all of their predictions of how the book of Revelation would play out. Whatever the case was, I was intrigued by the story of the end of the world. Because that's what Revelation is all about, right? The end of the world? In many, of the mix, in many of the pictures I had seen that illustrated Revelation, it always seemed like the world was blowing up. <laughs> and so I gathered that the point of Revelation was to let this planet to go to hell in a handbasket. I mean, why would we need it? Especially if Christians just get raptured right into heaven as left behind imagined. This is the kind of theology most Christians live their lives with. Uh, why take care of the environment? It's all going to die anyways. Why worry about what the future holds? God has a time set up to wipe it all out anyways. Uh, why worry about other people's well-being? Getting them saved is the most important thing. All will eventually be fine if they just go to heaven. When we live this way, we deny Jesus' teaching that heaven is here and now. Like professional procrastinators, we, we push heaven off until the final moment and we ignore the idea that heaven might hold any importance for right now. But again, plan A is for God to completely invade the earth with his image and not to blow it up. Blowing up the earth is actually the antithesis of God's plan. It's the opposite. And contrary to popular belief, 
Revelation is actually about the fulfillment of plan A, not its antithesis. We don't have anywhere near the amount of time we need to address all the wrong thinking people have when they process the book of Revelation, but we at least need to hone in on the fact that Revelation is about every last already but not yet theme coming into fullness. It's about the full installment of heaven on the earth where King Jesus will have his full reign as he comes to join us on the earth. The new Jerusalem, the, the place of God's people, will literally descend out of heaven and find its place on our planet in a new Eden. The tree of life we once left behind in God's old sacred space of the Garden of Eden will be found again in this new sacred space of the entire new creation of earth. So yeah, as odd as it sounds to some, new creation is located on the ground that we are now standing. Heaven eventually will find its fullness on the ground that we are now standing. Yet most people's end time theology has Christians flying away to heaven via so-called rapture. At first glance, there are one or two passages that maybe make us think of such an idea, but when we look deeper at it, it just doesn't seem to be the case. The most common passage used to support this idea is from 1 Thessalonians 4, 15 to 17, which says, For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. In trying to understand this passage, let's make sure we contextualize it with uh, the end times that Revelation gives us and the rest of the Bible gives us. Uh, when we do that, we realize that Paul isn't telling us that we'll simply fly off into the skies forever to be uh, with Jesus when he returns, because the whole point of Jesus returning is to bring heaven to the earth. In this letter to the Thessalonians, Paul envisions Jesus descending from heaven to earth for his glorious return to our planet, to usher in his kingdom, and to usher in his reign. And as he's descending to earth, all the Christians who died before us join him in the skies as he's on his way down. And after they have all joined him, then all the Christians who are still alive on the earth go on to do the same. Ironically, a passage that is all about bringing heaven down has been misinterpreted through modern eyes to be about Christians flying into space, never return to the earth as it catches fire and explodes. The very start of Left Behind establishes an ideology that is counter to this passage. Perhaps we would have noticed that a lot sooner if we had just had a proper understanding of what biblical resurrection is. At this point, if you're blending the standard afterlife teaching of today with the afterlife teaching we've been discussing so far, you may now be envisioning a bunch of human spirits walking around the earth as Jesus in spirit form reigns over us. That's an odd image, as it should be, because it doesn't conform to the Bible. 
Well, we've been taught that the goal of life is to leave our bodies behind and join God in spiritual form in the spirit world. Resurrection, which is a core belief that Christianity stands and falls on, according to Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Resurrection is actually about being given new physical bodies to live in. Throughout 1 Corinthians 15, Paul explains that our current bodies are perishable, dishonorable, weak, and natural. But they're like a seed. Uh, they're buried in the earth, and they give way to the resurrected body, which is imperishable, glorious, powerful, and spiritual. And when we say spiritual, we, we mean that this spiritual body is directed by the Holy Spirit. In other words, it is the possession and guidance of the Holy Spirit that, that makes the body spiritual. This is not a new understanding. Even Church Father Irenaeus agreed with this interpretation back in the second century. Though, perhaps it's also considered spiritual because of some of the supernatural or spiritual qualities it carries. For not only are these new bodies imperishable, but Jesus seems to show us that resurrected bodies are capable of some rather odd things. You'll recall from our discussion earlier in God's Grand Framework, this series that we've been going through, that, that Jesus emptied himself of certain godly qualities that prohibited him from being truly human, and then performed the supernatural things he did by having the power of the Holy Spirit on him, just like the miraculous prophets of old did. However, after Jesus dies, uh, the things that he does after being resurrected into his new body, they're very strange and different. For example, uh, it was like he could somehow phase in and out of existence. At one point, he just appeared in a locked room with his disciples and, and they all responded exactly how anyone would given the situation. They, they thought Jesus was a ghost. What else would they think? Uh, to prove to them that he wasn't a spirit, but a physical being, he said, touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And then to further prove the case, he ate some fish right in front of them. Ghosts don't eat fish. On top of this oddity, his own disciples often didn't recognize him. Some looked right at him and still doubted. Uh, sometimes they realized it was him quickly, and other times they realized it was him after an extended time of hanging out with him. But even when they did figure it out, it, it seemed like they were still confused. For example, John mentions that none of the disciples dared ask him, who are you? They knew it was the Lord. These stories feel a bit above and beyond, right? It, it seems the Bible wants us to notice that when Jesus was resurrected from the dead, he returned with a new body capable of new things. It was so Holy Spirit-led that it defied earth and science wherever it went. We miss this because we often think of resurrection as nothing more than the raising of the dead. But the raising of the dead is different from resurrection. Lazarus was raised from the dead from the same body into the same body, but Jesus was given a new resurrected body. And just as Jesus has received that new body, one day all Christians will do the same. We will be given new resurrected bodies that can live on in the new creation. Plan A will be fulfilled. 
Now, all this being said, it's hard to know how exactly new creation will come to be. Now, some have argued that God will take what is already here and create it anew, while, while others would advocate that God wipes everything out completely and starts over. Given what I've been talking about so far, I gather that just as he makes a new creation out of these old perishable bodies of ours, so will he make a new earth with what he's already made. But regardless of which way you want to argue, it is clear to me that the ultimate endgame of the biblical story is not to fly away to heaven, but instead to bring heaven to earth. The two are to one day be married into one creation. The physical and spiritual will one day meet, and something both familiar and unfamiliar will be present. As C.S. Lewis says, we shall still be able to recognize our old enemy, friend, playfellow, and foster mother, so perfected as to be not less, but more herself. And that will be a merry meeting. We must trust in resurrection. Jesus didn't only show us it existed before he left, but he preached on it in a time where different denominations of Jews were fighting over the idea. Jesus had no doubt it was real. He insulted the Sadducees for not seeing the idea of resurrection more clearly in their scriptures. Are we willing to see it? Should we die before Jesus comes back, we will go and join him in spiritual heaven while we wait for God to usher in the end times when we'll return to the earth. So spiritual heaven is just an intermediate phase along the way to ultimate heaven, which is what we'll get when heaven comes to the new earth and we return to live on it with new resurrected bodies. This is to where we are ultimately headed, the fulfillment of plan A.